creativity, zest for action and vision. These are qualities that drive people to always think and go one step further. And these are qualities which are decisive for both the Treten Group and the Junge Deutsche Philharmonie, a young German philharmonic orchestra sponsored by the company. Two things are particularly important in order to promote creativity, zest for action and vision, a diverse team and an open environment. The internationally staffed Junge Deutsche Philharmonie embodies these values very strongly. So strongly, in fact, that it further inspires Treton's approach of recognizing and promoting the individual strengths of each member. It is this diversity and open mindset that makes both the group and the orchestra so successful. In this episode of the Sustainability Stories, the Trayton podcast on building a sustainable future, we want to further elaborate what this means. How can pluralistic teams make good use of their strengths and how does this enable sustainable success? Sustainability Stories, the Trayton podcast on building a sustainable future. My name is Dan Wesker and my guests today are Jonathan Knott, first conductor and artistic advisor of the Junge Deutsche Philharmonie, and Sophia Valne. She is the head of people strategy and labor relations at Scania and pluralism and inclusion lead at Trayton Group. A warm welcome to you both. Hi, Dan. Hello. Uh, Sophia, we'll start with you. Within the Trayton Group, many different people and corporate cultures work together. Younger and older people, North Europeans and South Americans, Swedes and Bavarians, different denominations, the list could certainly go on. This diversity is consciously promoted in the Trayton Group within the framework of the strategy known as pluralism and inclusion. What is the concept of this strategy, pluralism and inclusion? Well, thank you. We, we've carefully chosen the term pluralism, actually, because we wanted to clearly state that to us in Trayton group, diversity is more than what has traditionally been the concept, you know, gender and nationality. So we wanted to expand for it to also include personality, different perspectives and experience to get diversity in the broadest sense. And of course, to use this diversity or pluralism, we need to have an inclusive corporate culture where everybody can sort of participate from who they truly are. Mm. And as you said, with all the differences that we have, if we can use them to their full potential, that would, of course, make us more successful because we would we would be more creative and innovative and, and efficient. And also, of course, be able to relate to, to our customers now and in the future. So it, it, that's the basics, I would say, of the concept. Yes, that's an ever more relevant point, really, within the changing nature of communication in the world today. Um, Jonathan, you, uh, on the other hand, have just renewed your contract with the Junge Deutsche Philharmonie for another two years, so you will stay with the orchestra until its 50th anniversary. Congratulations. What makes the Junge Deutsche Philharmonie so special to you? How do you deal with diversity there? Yeah, Dan. Um, I would say, first of all, that I love this orchestra because of its age. And when I see its age, its age group, which is 18 to 28, which 
that's a very intriguing state of a human being's life. They have mm. coming to the they've had a lot of experience already. They're coming to the end of their studies. They are looking very strongly at what on earth is going to be the next step. There's a mixture of uh, self-awareness, of self-assurance, of uh, anxiety, fear about uh, what's going to happen around the corner. And that for me seems to be that energy I've said to them before. I I rather like this as sort of a cauldron of a cauldron of potential because obviously what I'm trying to do is to create a product which is an experience it's a shared experience and the more energy the more the more challenge we can put the individual players in the greater the chance I think I have of getting a, a product a final concert that will be an exciting event to come to so partly of course they give me an opportunity to to challenge their preconceptions, uh, actually, uh, and also challenge or open new doors to musical thought, because in a professional environment, the conductor doesn't have very much time or opportunity to speak about great truths of of life. But that's exactly what these uh, young players are, are hoping for. So I found that it was actually uh, rather a, a wonderful way of counteracting the fact that I've spent such a lot of my life uh, dealing with music as a conductor on my own, looking at these black dots of what composers 100 years ago actually wrote down and trying to create something out of it. Also, because it's actually their founding ethos of this orchestra is uh, based on self-autonomy, which is, of course, a very rare thing in my field. And how does diversity influence sustainable success, both in a corporate context and in an orchestra? Look, this is a very difficult question to answer because, first of all, we have to be terribly clear about how how an orchestra usually functions. First of all, I am not involved in the audition. So the recruitment is one element which is not in my my charge, usually. So I come in then as a obviously an artistic advisor in suggesting how they may they may be looking at this. But the actual diversity of players themselves just the physical diversity is something which is a little bit uh, different from many other forms of this they all come from the Junge Deutsche Philharmonie from German speaking music colleges so that means the language unites them even if they can't speak German terribly well the language unites them there so of course uh, does the geographical fact that uh, where they are studying in the world they come from though about as many different countries as you could imagine. So already the pot of recruitment is extremely large. However, I see this question as being much more to how do, I think we mean the diversity of creative, uh, creative thought. And that obviously is down to me. How do we keep these young players going beyond the boundaries that they may have set themselves? So that gives us an idea of how it all works uh, in an orchestra. Sophia, uh, what parallels do you see with your work in a large international company? Yeah, well, first of all, of course, one denominator, common denominator is is that we are all working with people and and sort of it all starts and ends there, also in in the corporate uh, context. Uh, so I, I love the description there from you that, that diversity is, is a, like of creative thought because the term pluralism and, and why we are using it is, of course, to take that step and to look beyond, you know, if, if, if what gender we have or and just come into the diversity of, of creative thought. 
the whole purpose of Trayton Group uh, is to sort of stay successful, to be uh, develop new uh, products or services or business models, and and to do that, we we really need to have that diversity. So I see I see a lot of parallels and love the way it's described and coming from from the musical perspective because it it translates perfectly. Once again, we see the parallels there between art and life. Um, how do you create favorable conditions for diverse teams to be successful in the short term and also in the long term? So I think it's it's really important to start in the term inclusion. It's all about the environment in, in, in which this diversity can operate. To do that, obviously, we have to speak to all of us and sort of look into the unconscious bias. I mean, the, the way our brain works, which sort of leads us to cluster and have preconceptions about things. And we need to understand how that works and, and what we can do to sort of take us out of that comfort zone. And and maybe it's not only the boundaries set by people themselves, but set also by expectations. For instance, being in a corporate environment, what kind of boundaries does that give? Uh, so we need to work really on the our ability to include the difference of perspectives and the creative thought. Right, and that leads a little bit on to the next question. Is I mean, it's how important are impulses uh, from the group of employees, musicians, and to what extent should they be involved in the development of measures? Um, Jonathan, perhaps to you with that one. Yes, look, I'd, I'd like to pick up one point that I read this fantastic article which Sophia had written about, uh, it was in German, of course, which says, Aufforderung zum Tanz. Yeah, Jonathan, if I can just uh, clarify that, that was uh, for our listeners, that was um, a, an interview with Sophia. And I read it as well. And what I thought was very interesting, or what stuck in my mind about um, inclusion, is the sentence that is, if diversity means inviting people to a party, then inclusion means inviting them to dance. I totally agree. And it also made the point, which struck me as very an intriguing one, that it is in any company's best interest to get the most out of their employees because they will be more efficient, their product will then presumably be less expensive and they will have, have a chance to get a, a much better design of actual product that they're wanting to sell. And also she made the point, Sophie, you made this point about people worrying about the fact that if they say something wrong, they may be showing too much of themselves. It's of the detriment to the company because we are wasting time and money. And all of these things really spoke to me because obviously my job is an intriguing one because I'm the COE at the same time I don't get to hire and fire. I encourage self-regulation within the groups because they all have to work together no matter what kind of gesture I give them. But the idea that I, as a conductor, I give a gesture and then I get a sound back and that sound will be, and I encourage it to be determined by the thought processes of the player, meaning that they, the, each individual then has a chance to determine the final outcome. So how can I use this for any sort of use in, in a different environment of a business? But one of the things I think there is very much that allowing the individuals in the group to determine the action of the group. And we'll stay with the question of diversity just a little bit longer. Again, a question to both of you, uh, diversity can lead to tension. How do you 
avoid conflicts that arise from differences? And how do you successfully bring different perspectives together? I just have to say it's so wonderfully described, uh, I mean, with the uh, collective intelligence and actually having the prerequisites to create something bigger than the, the number of people in, in the room, which is, of course, the aim uh, also for us in a company. But I, I think it's all about actually creating prerequisites for some sort of responsible communication. Obviously, in a company, you have to, all of us have to be working towards the same purpose and, and sort of within the boundaries of that. But having a, a, a conscious and responsible dialogue is, is actually what we need to, we need to have uh, to be able to translate conflict or tension into something creative and productive. Uh, it's not always easy, of course, and it, no. it, it can take time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. One of the problems there, isn't it, is, is exactly that we have to teach people how to give criticism and how to accept criticism. And I'm not terribly good, good at it because I, I have a natural tendency, of course, if somebody criticizes me, the first thing that happens is that I get angry, which is exactly <laughs> what we don't want. But one thing that happens in an orchestra, of course, is that we encourage the individual team member to be proud of another person's success. They can watch the trumpet player play this fantastic solo. And at the end of that, there will be an applause, of course, which is something else which everybody takes. But that doesn't necessarily happen in other forms of uh, forms of business. Applause versus praise—that's maybe more difficult to always to find in in another environment. By me, I find that I, if I'm encouraging players to give of their best, but I'm still forming them, and therefore asking them to do something different to what they've just given me, I have to make sure I've removed. We all have to make sure in this in the in the team that we've removed the ego, right. and. I know we have to be courageous in our decision-making. That's, that's fair enough, which means, of course, owning up to mistakes, which is something which uh, very... It's, it's easier in a youth orchestra because, obviously, they, they are thrilled. They, they know they don't know all the answers. They know that they're experimenting. My, my job, of course, as being a conductor is partly... The orchestra can play very well by itself, most orchestras, without the conductor. So what is one of my jobs is to make them take risks that they wouldn't otherwise have done. But like the parachute structure, you know, I hold their hands while we jump out of the aeroplane. So all, all of those things, but I think, but this removing of the ego is an extremely important one in that. Right. I think you've almost answered my next question in the, with that answer. So I'll throw it open to uh, Sophia. What constitutes, in, in your opinion, an, an ideal team um, in this context? Well, uh, the ideal team would be people who have different perspectives and, and experiences and who are brave uh, enough to share them. I would say uh, removing also uh, sort of prestige and hierarchy and just participate from, from your best intentions in an environment which is really interested in, in what I have to, to share. That would be the ideal team. Of course, also with a, a joint goal. Uh, what what is the team effort's best result? Can I just say one thing here? I said before, you know, uh, we should perhaps what is the structure of my 
colleagues. I won't call them the workforce because that's not what it is. It used to be a dictator, <laughs> but now I'm an alchemist. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to create something out of what I've got. There are substructures. If you think, if you look at an orchestra, you have a series of players who are playing brass instruments who don't play anywhere near as much as the people at the front playing the stringed instruments. So the people at the back, it's also very tricky because the people at the back, the, the brass, their instruments tend to be quite dangerous. They are, tend to be very likely to crack, to make a mistake in that sense. Then we have the woodwind players in the middle who sometimes play solos. Even the third flute will play a solo. So they have to be soloists, but at the same time spend half their time playing chords, playing unison. So they have to form a team with no hierarchy and then suddenly disappear and become an individual star. And the players at the front, the strings, it's only a big string quintet. So that's there are only five different voices going on there. But it means that somebody at the front of every group is surrounded by a whole load of people behind them. And that is the biggest challenge. How do I make sure that somebody who's sitting in the back desk of one of these string groups feels as though they are personally being spoken to challenged by the musical performance and that is where the communication to every one of them is really very important from the person at the front the person in, in, in charge the person at the front of each desk is the leader and the people behind are supposed to play with the person at the front but actually the sound comes from the people at the back so we say get rid of the leader you're the you're the cartos you're, you're just dictating the actual work is being done behind you we swap those players around so they all get a chance to do this all of those things can happen in a in a rehearsal period uh, which can't necessarily happen in a professional environment but they could happen in a professional environment if one decided to change the rules. Let's move a bit more onto the management side of it. Managing a diverse team requires tact and understanding of the individual and, in some cases, close cooperation. How can this be achieved even in times when virtual teamwork is rapidly gaining importance? Well, interestingly enough, I think that working remote has actually sort of given us uh, some good inclusion experience. You know, we, uh, working uh, in, in teams, uh, you remove hierarchy and you also sort of open up for people to participate who might not be comfortable, for instance, in standing up and speaking in an auditorium or... Obviously, it's it's at least for people a bit older like myself, uh, you know, maybe finding it more difficult to be creative or in a workshop mode uh, on the digital tools. But uh, I, I think we've had some great, uh, actually, uh, experience and achievements when it comes to, to inclusion through the remote working. And just to add an, an extra point to this uh, same subject, what other challenges and developments do you expect for the future? Well, of course, one of the challenges that I, I, I see is maybe more connected to the development in the world with, with the polarization and the, and the politics, which is, I think, sort of putting us in the companies in, in a position where we, we need to have diversity and inclusion. We, we need it to stay successful. And all of a sudden we find ourselves sort of responsible to a higher degree for sort of the standard human rights uh, aspects of things. Uh, then, of course, I think with the coronavirus and the situation, it's it's clearly shown, and also the, the climate challenges, that we are all sort of citizens of the world and we need to take joint responsibility. And, and uh, we, we 
clearly can and will be working together with people from all over the world, and which is great because to, to sort of come to the purpose of, of sustainable transport, we are going to need all the talent and all the creativity we can find. Excellent. Jonathan, a last word from you, perhaps, on that? or. Um, yes, I, I must say the the it's wonderful to hear that particular thing saying that we may have removed one barrier to free communication within a group by everybody being in their own space by learning not to speak at the same time by by <laughs> by feeling more comfortable. I always felt that that the idea of a virtual world was a complete anathema to what. It was why I'm a musician, which is obviously to communicate something to a live person sitting in a right in front of me. I have to say, though, that one of the what so what of many many uh, performing artists have done around the world is to make live stream performances. Now that what that has done has not only taken the performing into the individual's personal space, but it has also actually encouraged the missing half of the audience, the person to whom you are telling and sharing and exchanging this story that they're missing from your performance, that you actually then replace it with yourself so that the groups themselves actually play for each other. So that is great. Of course, in terms of the um, actual global nature of everything, I'm not a very good example because I obviously travel and meet musicians all over the world. I've had the luck, luck to play the same music actually with people as diverse as you could possibly imagine so I do need to uh, be able to find a way to actually move around to meet people as part of that and that will not be the same if in in a virtual world and I have to say I think that's part of the things that I enjoy about or find truly wonderful about being a musician is the fact that you never talk about looking inside yourself as much as you talk about listening inside yourself. So there's a sort of, the listening is a communication point on a different sphere than the visual point. And I think we probably communicate better when we are being encouraged by this, this in this year to find each other in a different sort of uh, ether than we were previously, which is obviously a great benefit to everybody. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sophia Valne, and thank you, Jonathan Knott. You're listening to Sustainability Stories, the Trayton podcast on building a sustainable future. Thank you very much for tuning in to our very first episode. My name is Dan Wesker and I'm delighted that you have joined us today. If you like what you've heard, be sure to recommend this podcast to your friends, family or colleagues and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or using the podcatcher of your choice. This way you will always stay up to date. Anyway, that's it for today's episode of the Trading Podcast. Thank you for listening. Until the next time. Sustainability Stories. The Trading Podcast on building a sustainable future. 